We are about to do our third installment, I believe, in judging people favorably. And as I promised, I'm going to share with you an incredible story. And this will guide the rest of today's class. There was someone called the Ktav Sofer. The Ktav Sofer lived in the early 1900s. And uh, in the early 1900s, there was a group of rabbis that got together at a conference. It was the, called, called the Knisiyah HaGdola, the Great Conference. It was the Conference of Rabbis, with many incredible sages that were there. He had a special treat for everyone. And the special treat that he had was a coin that he got from his father. And he said, I want to show everyone because this is the first time I've actually showed this in public. But because we had so many great rabbis here, I thought it would be a great opportunity for everyone to see this special coin. What was this coin? This coin was a special coin, machatzita shekel, the half shekel from the times of the temple. An original machatzita shekel, the original half shekel. And everyone's like, wow, that's unbelievable. That's incredible. And sure enough, he passes it around the room, and everyone's looking at it, and they're, wow, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. It's like this is a piece of history that they're able to touch with their hands. This is something that was part of the temples, you know, the service. The people would bring their half shekel to the temple. It was unbelievable privilege that everyone felt that they can touch it, and they can look at it, and they can examine it. It was really special. Okay. A few minutes later, the Ktav Sofer right, named after his book that he wrote, which was the Ketav Sofer. His father was named the Khatam Sofer, okay? Either way, so he asks back for the, for the coin, and nobody has the coin. What do you mean nobody has the coin? Nobody has the coin. It's not a group of, you know, children. It's not a group of thieves. It's a group of rabbis. Nobody has the coin. It was like, okay, everyone, please... We're going to have to ask everyone to check their pockets. It's a really expensive, really special, really, you know, historic coin. I'm going to need everyone to. So one of the great rabbis there, Rabbi Yehuda Asad, says, let's wait 15 minutes. Before we ask everyone to open up their pockets and to show what's inside and to show that they're not the thief, let's just wait a few minutes. Okay. So everyone's like, Okay, this man's name was Rabbi Yehuda Asad. Okay, they decided they're going to wait. Let's wait 15 minutes. Meanwhile, they continue the conference. 15 minutes passes, and it didn't turn up. So Rabbi Yehuda Asad says, let's give another 15 minutes. Hopefully it'll turn up. Whoever has it will find it. We'll see it next to them. Okay. Goes uh, another 15 minutes, and no coin turns up. And now the Ketav Sofer is getting nervous. It's already a while. You know, nobody, seemingly nobody has it. It's a little bit of a problem. Rabbi Yehuda Asad says 15 more minutes and then everyone has to open up their pockets. Okay. A few minutes later, the waiter comes in from the kitchen. He says, hey, 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 did anybody lose a coin? Did anybody lose a coin? We, when we were rolling up the tablecloths, you know, when we were cleaning off the tables, we found this coin. And they said, oh, here's the coin. They gave it back to the Ketab Sofer. So they turned to Rabbi Yehuda Asad, the great sage, and they asked him, why did you ask for more time? 
Why did you ask for more time? See, he said as follows. He stands up and he pulls out of his pocket the exact same coin. He says, I also brought my coin that I had from generations of the machatita shekel, of the half shekel that was in the temple. And I also wanted to show it to everyone. And I was afraid, and as soon as the Ketav Sofer offered, I said, you know what, I'm just going to keep mine in my pocket, and I don't want to steal his thunder. Now imagine if I would have taken the coin out of my pocket, and everyone would have said, this guy's a thief. Right? This guy's a thief. You'd throw me out. I'd be embarrassed. My children would be thrown out of school. You'd, you'd, you'd remove me from the council of rabbinic uh, you know, leadership. You'd, you know, you'd, I wouldn't be able to marry off my children. Nothing. He says, this whole time I was praying that the coin of the Ketav Sofer should be found. There's a known idea which is called Choshed Bikshirim, that a person should not accuse an innocent. Accuse an innocent. When we judge a person unfavorably, what we're doing is we're in essence accusing an innocent person. We're accusing them of something that comes up in our mind as an idea that of what they may have done. And really it's not true. Okay? So if I see someone, think of any idea of, of what a person could be uh, accused of. Many things, okay? Many things. You go, to a, uh, you go to a wedding and you see someone, you know, look around for their place card. They didn't have a place card. They just sit at a random table. Okay? So you say, this person probably wasn't invited. Right? I know who's supposed to be sitting by my table. This person is not part of my family. They're not supposed to be. They probably weren't invited and they're just mooching off, off the hosts of free dinner. Is that a good story? So we're making assumptions. We're not judging them innocently. We're not judging them as if they're innocent. Instead, what we're doing is we come up with whatever, whatever satisfies our fancy and we go with it. And we say, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. And we accuse someone of doing something that they never did. It could be that it's one of the family members who surprised them. They didn't know they were coming. And they said, you know, just sit at any table. Who cares? It's a wedding. It's like, let's go. Just sit any place. And meanwhile, we build this whole story in our mind that this person wasn't invited. They just came. Do you do this every week? You go to a wedding and you just crash? And we build up this whole story. And what our sages teach us is you need to be, you need to judge people favorably and not judge them in a way that is not uh, positive. Okay? In fact, the sages, the Talmud says that one who judges someone unfavorably, if you're Hoshed Bikshirin, if you are suspecting of the innocent, you owe them a blessing. Right? I'll give you an example. Children sometimes do this, okay? Someone takes their yogurt. My children have this all the time. Hey, who took my yogurt? And then they see somebody else eating a yogurt, right? So like, you took my yogurt, right? And then they see that it was behind the cereal box. So they just accused someone wrongly. The Talmud says you owe them a blessing. You accuse them negatively. You have to repay them with a blessing, okay? So here, 
I think the essence of the story, what we need to understand from the story, is that it's very easy for us to judge people negatively. It's very easy for us to jump to conclusions that are wrong. And we have to be careful about that. This would have been a perfect story of the rabbi is a thief, right? It would be a perfect story. Everybody takes everything out of your pocket. He pulls out a machatzi, the most rarest of coins. An original temple coin for 2,000 years ago. And we would have all forever said, look, at guy's a thief. Can't believe it. Everybody leave his congregation. Everybody leave his community. This guy's a thief. Not trustworthy. So that whole time he was praying, Hashem, please let the right coin turn up so that they don't accuse me wrongly for something that I didn't do. Okay? That's, that's just a, I think it's a very telling story where we can learn a tremendous amount of what damage could happen when we judge people negatively and we rush to judgment. I say, just tell us, that's not, that's not one of the tools to happiness. It's not one of the tools to happiness if, if we're going to be busy judging everyone and we're going to be judging every situation. You know what? Maybe we don't need to judge everything. So I'll give you three, three or four different sources here. So first is the tractate Shavuot in the Talmud. 30a says the following, With justice you shall judge your fellow man. And weigh every person towards merit, every person, and it says, your friend. Okay, meaning, your friend, why does it say specifically your friend in the Talmud? It doesn't say judge every person in the Talmud. It says judge your friend favorably. Why your friend? My friend I know. My friend is a good person. My friend would never do something like that. Because it's my friend. I know my friend. But a stranger you don't know. Don't even bother judging them. Right? Your friend, even if they do something wrong, you can find merit. Because you say, I know that this person is so kind. I know this person is so generous. I know this person is so giving and so forgiving. And this person is so, you know, goes beyond the call of duty. I'm like, I can't judge them negatively. That's your friend. Someone who's not your friend. How can you judge them? How can you judge someone you don't know? I have no idea anything about their lives. I don't know their background. So what's the alternative? Either don't judge, which is not likely, or get to know them better. You get to know them, you see that they're filled with virtues. You see that they're filled with qualities. Okay? That's one source. The second source is, we mentioned this previously in a different class, in a different regard. But we said that, you know, King David says in Psalms uh, 34, 13, he says, Who is the man who desires life? Who loves days of seeing good. See the good in other people. That's the way you'll have a good life. You want to have a good life? Be happy? Always see the good in other people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I was noticing this morning, I went to pick up it's a coffee. And I asked my daughter, I ordered it from my phone, and my daughter went in, and she picked it up. And as she was walking out, I noticed she, you know, she was holding two cups carefully. She opened the door, and she came to the car. There was another person who was at a distance. She didn't notice that person. So she didn't hold the door open. She just didn't see the person. I, I saw the, 
And the other person like, look, like, why don't you hold the door open for me? She simply didn't see her. So if anyone were to know my daughter, they'd know she's the kindest, sweetest girl. If she would have seen, she would have held it open. But she didn't see it. You understand? Now, you could say maybe she should have looked. Maybe she should have noticed. Maybe she should have paid attention. Okay, but we're in a rush, right? We had to come. I was heading here from 30 miles away from here. So I can have a desk that I can teach from and not teach from a phone, you know, like this, walking around. The objective here, the goal is if we want to be happy, we have to learn to see everybody in a positive light. That's the goal. The goal is to be happy. The last source I want to share here on this, um, we're going to go further, but, but the last source in the beginning here is we said that make for yourself a teacher. The Mishnah says, Make for yourself a teacher and acquire for yourself a friend and judge every person favorably. If we want to live out a life of happiness. So, so the Mishnah says, Aselacharav, make for yourself a rabbi. Make for yourself a mentor, someone that you seek counsel from, someone that you learn from. And then it says right after it, make for yourself, acquire a friend. We need to invest in, in friendships. But in both of those cases, the Mishnah seals the third leg of this. Have a rabbi, have a friend. You can't have either if you don't judge favorably. You're not going to be able to accept from another person any advice if you don't judge them favorably. Because they may do something that you may seem, uh, I don't know, and then you're not going to trust them. You're not going to trust their guidance. You have to judge favorably. You want to have a good friend. Invest in the friendship. Judge them favorably. Okay, the key to all of our growth is judging people favorably. Um, okay, so now, judges must give the benefit of the doubt after judgment. Meaning, if you're a judge in, 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 a, in a case, okay, and you have two litigants coming in front of you, and the Mishnah says you should look at them both in front of you as if they're guilty, and when they leave and they accept the judgment, you should look at them both as innocent. Meaning, when you see the guy later in synagogue, you know, you just ruled against him. You just said he's guilty. When you see him in synagogue, how should you look at him? You look at him as if he's innocent. In that case, he may have been guilty. But you don't look at him as a guilty party. You don't look at him as a guilty person. You look at him as an innocent person after. In that case, he was wrong for whatever reason. Okay, the, the idea is, is you don't carry that burden with you. And you don't look at him the next time you see him, right? As if, he's a, as if he's a guilty party. Okay? Now, this is only for average people. It's only for an average person. Why? Okay? A righteous person must be judged favorably immediately. An average, a bad person, uh, you can always assume that they have ulterior motives. Okay? They're a bad person. Right? Now, how do we define bad people? I don't know if we can do that today. Once there was this idea that you can judge people as in they were bad people because they already had, you know, three cases against them of, of cheating or lying. or So you assume that they're not trustworthy. But when we're talking about most people in the world, we call them average people. And an average person, it is meritorious to give the benefit of the doubt. I don't know the true story. I'm just judging with my eyes, with what I see. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay? 
So there's another obligation here, and that is the obligation to avoid questionable actions. Let me give you an example. The halacha states that a gabai tzedakah, you know what a gabai tzedakah is? The gabai tzedakah is the gabai, is the collector of the tzedakah from the congregation. So what, well, the way it used to work is that you would have a guy who would go around the congregation with a cup and he would collect charity from everyone. He'd go around the congregation, he would say it's a daka, that would help pay for the bills, for the electricity, it would help pay for the air conditioning. Today we have something called membership. But that guy who was the gabay tzedakah, what would they do with the extra money? They would give it to the poor people. They would give it to the poor people. They would support the poor people. Okay. So now the Gabbai Tzedakah, the guy who collects that Tzedakah, he, the Halacha tells us that such a person should be very careful. Such a person should be very careful not to put his own money in the same pocket as the congregation money. They didn't have bank accounts. All the money was in a, in a pouch. He should have a special pouch which is the congregation's pouch, and you should have your own pouch, which is your own money. Why? Because if you start mixing up, people will accuse you of taking from the congregation's money. And Allah puts it as a requirement that the gabai of tzedakah, the person who collects the charity for the community, for the synagogue, this is his responsibility to alleviate any doubt that anyone who sees him shouldn't come to a point where they suspect him. It's an unbelievable responsibility. You have money. You know that can lead to people accusing you of stealing money from the congregation. To avoid that and to eliminate that doubt, what should you do? Keep your money in a separate pouch. We need to do everything we can as human beings so that people don't have questionable, questionable actions from what we do. People shouldn't have questionable conclusions from what we, from our actions. Okay, people shouldn't start questioning. Ah, oh, look at them; they're, they're, they always have money. It happens to be a coincidence that they're the one collecting the money for the congregation. That's right. To avoid such accusations, the halacha tells us specifically that you have to be extra cautious to keep the money separate. Okay. Another is that, if I remember correctly, this example, but uh, there was showbread that was in the temple. There was showbread that was in the temple. And the showbread, there were 12 loaves of bread. They were baked every Friday for Shabbos. And they stayed fresh. They stayed on display till the following Friday when the new showbread were put in. Now, the family, there was a family that knew how to bake this showbread. Okay, it was called the Lechem Hapanim. Okay, it was a special showbread and it was made in a special form. It had like a really special. They only made that bread for the temple. They only made that bread for the temple. They didn't make that bread also at home. Why? So nobody should accuse them of taking the ingredients from the temple. Ah, that's what you're doing. You go to the temple, you get the ingredients, you make the bread for your house. Very nice. Cheating the congregation. So they made a different bread at home. 
a different kind, a different design of the bread. Why? So no one should come to accuse them. And that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to put ourselves in a situation where people could judge us in a negative way. All right? Is that clear? It means if we're doing something which in the eyes of others could be discerned as being questionable, our sages give us extra guidance. Do yourself a favor. Eliminate the doubt. If you can, obviously. So if you're that guest sitting at the table, and the, you know, I, I mentioned this previously, that, you know, if I go to the return uh, register at Walmart or uh, Belden's, I remember back then, right? They say, just go switch it out. And I was like, I, I, I tell them, you know, I bought this product and it, it, it had an expired date on it. Like, oh, no problem. Just go get another one and, 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 and take it, right? Someone's going to look at me getting a, a different, you know, whatever item it is and just walking out of the store. They're like, look, look at him. He's a thief. He just took it, put it in his wagon and walked out. So you have to eliminate the doubt. What do you do? So what I would do is I would go back to the, to the return register and tell them, here it is, right? Ask for a bag. And that way, there's no, there's, it's clear that it's from the return and it, that nobody should accuse, nobody should have thoughts. That's our responsibility to take an extra measure that nobody can come to a wrong conclusion. Okay? Okay, so now there's another thing that a person needs to be aware of. Okay? Marit Ayin. What's Marit Ayin? Anybody knows what Marit Ayin is? The view of the eye, the perspective of the eye. So let me give you an example. Someone comes to your office, or someone comes to my office, or to anybody's office, and they have a Big Whataburger Big Gulp, okay? So someone can make an assumption. Ah, you had lunch at Whataburger? That's not kosher, right? You ate non-kosher, right? And someone can come to a conclusion that, a wrongful conclusion, that you didn't just get a drink there, but you actually ate lunch there, okay? Which is one of the reasons, you know, I once had workers at my house and I, you know, part of your obligation as an employer is to feed your workers, especially day laborers. You have to feed them. So I asked them, they were, they were doing construction. I said, what can I get you for lunch? They said, oh, they wanted a Whataburger or whatever something. So I'm going to go, I'm going to order them a Whataburger. And then it's like, it doesn't look right. right? Even though it's for my workers. And even though it's like, so I said, you know what? I'm going to give you an extra $10. Can you go get it yourself? Okay, you're going to get it yourself because I don't want to be in a situation where I could potentially be judged in a negative way. Okay, that means we need to protect ourselves. We need to protect ourselves from being in a situation where we're judged negatively. Where someone can see, look at him, look at the rabbi. He talks about kosher and then he goes quietly thinking nobody sees and he goes gets himself a Whataburger. That's oh, really for my workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so to eliminate that, that, I'll give another example, okay? Uh, this is a common example, you know, when you're traveling. So you're traveling and you need a rest stop. But the only rest stop you have is an exit and you see there's a McDonald's. So what do you want to do? You just want to go in, go use the, the facilities and leave. But someone sees you're walking in with a kippah, you're walking in with your tzitzit hanging out, and you're walking into McDonald's. And so this is a classic example 
of what could be judged by the eyes of the observer as something negative. You're just walking into McDonald's like that. So today, most people know that if someone is, a, is an observant Jew, they're not going to be eating McDonald's. The reason they're going in a rest stop is because they're going to use the restroom. And they're not really going to buy their tray food there, or, okay, or any tray food. So, so this is the idea of married ayin. Okay, so even if you're going to, to do something completely innocent, like using the facilities, or buying just a Coca-Cola's kosher or just about anywhere. So that would not be a problem, but you have to, again, keep in mind that people are judging constantly and you need to do everything you can to avoid giving people an opportunity to judge you negatively. Okay. So the, our sages tell us that the reward for this mitzvah is given in the world to come as it is a mitzvah from the category that you eat the fruit in this world and you reap the benefits in the world to come. Okay? Now, when hearing from others and when seeing with our own eyes, we must assume that there is a piece of the puzzle missing. Okay? That's, that's the general perspective we need to have is that we assume that we don't have the full story. The Mishnah tells us in Avot, Perkei Avot, chapter 2, Mishnah 4, it says, don't judge your fellow till you are standing in their place. Obviously, we naturally judge ourselves favorably. And if we were in their position, we would also judge ourselves favorably. So let's put ourselves in their feet. Let's put ourselves in their situation and see why they're not evil people. Why their intention is not to do bad. Why they're not doing th something which is harmful. Okay, now, by judging others favorably, we will be judged favorably here and in the world to come. Our sages tell us, the Talmud tells us, in Tractate Shabbat 127b, when you judge others favorably, what you're doing to yourself is that you're allowing yourself to be judged favorably in the world to come. How's that? So let me tell you. The way you train yourself to see others is the way you're going to see yourself. Our sages tell us that after we're done with this world, we stand in front of the heavenly court. And they say, oh, well, they see our whole lives. And then they say, oh, one second, here you are. We're so excited that you came to join us in the heavenly courts because we needed an honest judge. And they show you a video of someone's life. And you don't, see that it, you don't see that it's you. Because we are a soul. We're not a face. Right? If someone asks you who you are, you don't say, I'm me. Look, this is me. No, I'm a soul. Right? Marsha, where are you? You're a soul. The body stays here. The soul continues, lives on forever. Okay? So what happens is that when we see this life of a soul passing right through that you see the video of this person's life, we are going to be the judge of our own life of whether or not what, what we did, what we did, what we did wrong, we are the judges of our own selves. It, say our sages, if we train ourselves to see positively, who's the ultimate beneficiary of that? We. Because when we see that life passing through, and we see that whole video of the life of this person that we're asked to judge in the heavenly courts, not knowing it's us, 
we're going to be judging ourselves. So I say to tell us, if you want to be judged favorably by the heavenly courts, learn to judge favorably in this world. Is that unbelievable? Let me tell you an amazing story brought in the Talmud. Talmud says an amazing story. It was one of the great Tanaic sages who had a worker. The worker was a, was a, was a, a scholar in his own right. And the scholar came time to pay him. He wants to go back to his family for the holidays. And he says to him, I'm sorry, I don't have any money. <laughs> I want to pay you, but I just don't have any money. He says, what's about your animals? I'm sorry. They're not my animals. What do you mean? I, I work for you, right? It's like, you know, it's like, you imagine. I, I don't have any money. I don't have any animals. He says, what's about your pillows and blankets? What's about food? He says, I don't have anything in the storehouse. I don't have anything. And this guy is thinking to himself. He says, I run his whole produce. I run all of his fields. I take his animals, I shepherd them. I know exactly what he has, but is he lying to me? He says to him, he doesn't have any crops. He doesn't have any food in the storage house. He doesn't have any linen, any pots or pans. He doesn't have anything. Now, the sage, the, the student, the, 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 the worker, didn't ask any questions. He didn't make any judgments. He turns around and says, thank you so much, and he leaves. And he goes to his family back, I believe it was back in Jerusalem. So comes after Sukkot, after the holidays, and this great sage fills up his carriage with all of the unbelievable bounty that he has, and he starts traveling to his worker's house in Jerusalem. And he comes to him, and he says to him, when, I, when you asked me for, for payment and I said I don't have money, what did you think? He said, I thought that maybe you said that you're investing all of your money and you just the day earlier, you told the, you know, someone that a great deal. You said, you know what? Here's my money, invest my money. So you didn't have any money to pay me. He said, when I told you that I didn't have any crops, what did you think? He said, I, said, I assumed that you probably dedicated it to, to, to Jerusalem, to the temple. And when I told you that I didn't have linen, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. He says, I came up with the story that he says, you know something? You are right on every single one. On every single one of your judgments, you are right. And here I brought all of this bounty. I brought all of this to give you as your payment and to give you reward for judging me favorably. So from here is something that I have learned. That when we try to judge someone favorably, come up with a story. Make up something. You'll see that you'll have siyata dishmaya. You'll have assistance from above to judge the right way. It's an unbelievable challenge for us sometimes to, you know, to judge someone favorably. That means we have to go out of our way and be creative in the way we see the story. It also helps us when we judge other people favorably. It also helps us to stop us from speaking and accepting Lashon Hara. When we are careful and we're cautious to judge people favorably, we won't talk negatively about other people because we start judging them in a positive way. So instead of having something juicy, negative to say about someone, we don't have anything to say about anyone anymore. Because what happened? I only saw positive. If I see positive, I have nothing negative to say about other people. Okay? Further, we say that 
it changes our, our evaluations of people's actions. We, we need to learn to automatically react to all events with a positive reaction, even looking for an illogical explanation, right? In Mesechet Avot, in, in Tracted Avot, it says, judges before ruling, right, we mentioned this, must think things over carefully before judgment, right? One of, one of, the, one of the obligations of, an of, of, a, of a judge is to deliberate. Right away from the beginning of the Mishnah, of Avot, of Pirkei Avot, of Ethics of Our Fathers, we see a theme, and that is deliberate. Don't rush to judgment. Just like if anyone came in front of us, if we were the judges, someone comes to our courtroom, they look guilty. Guilty! Would that work? No. You want to hear their story? So too, in the courtrooms of the mind, we shouldn't just judge people negatively because they look guilty. They look like they were hiding something. Well, innocent until proven guilty. Isn't that the case? Right? They're innocent until proven guilty. In our mind, it should be the same. Okay. There was that story that was told about a, a great Hasidic master. His name was Urbunim. Someone once came and uh, it was the evening of Yom Kippur, Kol Nidre, and they look inside the window of a house, and they see Rav Bunim, the great Hasidic master. They see him sitting with a plate of food with his fork, right? They're like, oh, Yom Kippur evening? The great Hasidic master is eating? Unbelievable. They go run, they say, King, you wouldn't believe it. Rav Bunim, I saw him eating. I saw him with the fork in his hand. I saw him eating. Everyone's like, can't believe it. So the Hasidic followers said, it can't be. It can't be. We know our master. Our master is such a holy man. He would never do such a thing. They said, they said to the individual, tell us where you saw him. Look in that house. He was there. Sure enough, they walk in and they see that the holy Hasidic master was preparing the food and feeding an elderly sick person. He was taking the food, right? So the individual saw, he's sitting there with a plate of food. He didn't see the sick person who was being blocked by the rabbi. All he saw was the plate of food. They saw the rabbi. It must be that the rabbi is eating on Yom Kippur. Not realizing that there was something they didn't see. And there was a sick, ill, elderly man who needed to be fed and on Yom Kippur evening, the Hasidic master had nothing better to do than to feed this elderly man. But imagine if they didn't come to check up on that. Imagine if they didn't come to verify the story. What could happen? Right? We can walk around our entire lives miserable, angry, upset, judging people in a negative way. And our sages warn us about this. Be careful before judging other people okay be careful before judging other people is another very important function here in judging people favorably the talmud tells us that a righteous person you have to assume that if they did something wrong at night that they repented and did teshuva by morning that is your obligation 
someone who is righteous, you need to assume that they repented and did teshuva for their wrongdoing. You know, I once had a story. I hope I fall into the category of righteous. One day I was in a meeting and I said something in the meeting that I don't know what came into my mind. I don't know why I said it, but it was something that was really harsh. It was harsh. It wasn't typical. It wasn't something that I typically say. Those of you who know me, I try not to be a bad person. I try not to be an evil person. I try to be a kind, gentle, and friendly uh, you know, person. I said something that was not nice. And, okay, the meeting was over, and I went home. And I told my wife, I said, I don't know what got into me. I said something so terrible. I feel so bad that I said this. I said, I feel sick to my stomach. I said, I feel nauseous. How could I have said this? I felt so terrible. You have no idea. I felt so bad. And I, I'm like, I had to go lay down. It's like, I felt disgusted. I get a phone call about 20 minutes later from one, in the, in the, one of the individuals that was in the room at the meeting. And he says to me, I want to tell you something. I just got an email from the Chafetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. The Chafetz Chaim Heritage Foundation is an unbelievable organization that spreads awareness of all of these traits that we're talking about particularly regarding Lashon Hara, not to speak negatively about other people and to judge people favorably. He says, this morning's email that I just got says that if you know somebody who is a good person that says something that is out of character, don't judge them for their negative thing that they said or did because they must have repented. He says to me, I know you. And I know that this is out of character. So I want you to know that I didn't judge you negatively. And I believe, and again, for like, it was already, however much time it was, I felt sick to my stomach. I felt so bad for what I had done. So we have to get to know who the person is. And it's about every person. On here, any person you know, how many people do you know that are evil? Do you know someone who's evil? I don't know people who are evil. I know people who are good-hearted. I know people who are kind. I know people who are friendly, people who smile, people who are, who are generous, right? And if they do something which is out of character, I have to assume it was a mistake. I have to assume that they had a moment of insanity. And this is not who they are. And that's the way our sages tell us we need to judge people favorably. Don't assume they are bad. Don't assume they are evil. Assume, and this, by the way, the important thing with children, never ever say to a child, you never ever say to a child, you're bad. Even when they do the most terrible thing, you don't tell a child that they're bad. What they did was bad. Their actions was, may have been bad. They are not bad. Sometimes we make mistakes too. That doesn't make us bad. That doesn't make us evil. And it's something we need to remember. Just like our children aren't bad, 
just their actions may be bad. So too humanity, the people around us, aren't bad. Their actions might be bad.